This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Hello, beloveds. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. So right now we are all, every one of us, learning how to create a new normal, right? During the coronavirus pandemic. And so we here are hosting an entire bonus podcast series. I mean, alongside our normal podcast series, where we are talking to the most excellent leaders and thinkers we know. And we just wanted to figure out how to serve you well, how to speak into everything that we are worried about and that we are facing and that we are dealing with. And we're going to post these episodes every Monday and Friday over the coming weeks so they can give us tools and resources to function during this sort of unprecedented season. We're so happy to do this for you. I want to give a real quick shout out to my podcast team who all just said, yes, we will double our workload right now in order to bring these episodes as quickly as possible to the community. And listen, I know the coronavirus has upended so many of our plans. And that includes my big live event that was supposed to happen April 14th. Well, but I don't know if you heard the news, but I am delighted to tell you two things. Number one, the April 14th in-person live event has been rescheduled for September 9th in Dallas, same venue, September 9th. And most importantly to everybody listening, number two, the April 14th event is also going to be transformed into a webcast, Woo! which will be coming straight to your screen on April 30th, April 30th. And my lovely special guests that were going to hang out with us, Brene Brown and Angela Johnson, will still be joining us for the webcast the greatest women. And now so many more of you are going to get to experience this. So how do you join the webcast fun? Super easy. You guys first, if you already bought a ticket to the Dallas event, you're in. Okay. Second, if you've pre-ordered my new book, fierce, free, and full of fire in any format, any vendor you're in. And third, if you're in the Jen Hatmaker book club, you're in. 
So all you have to do is go to jenhatmaker.com slash fierce event and register for the webcast. So easy. You have to register even if you're in one of those categories. That's just kind of how the platform works. So go register. And if you're not eligible for the webcast yet, we want to have you. We would love to have you. So to be eligible, you can either buy tickets to the rescheduled live event on September 9th or just pre-order the book. Pre-order, fierce, free, and full of fire, any vendor, any format, and then boom, go register for the webcast. That's it. That's how you get in. So how fantastic is this? How fantastic is this? We are so excited to bring this to you. You can do all of these things at jenhatmaker.com slash fierce event. And so I turn my attention to you, dear ones. I'm curious how your second slash third week of quarantine has gone. (laughs) If you are finding a new normal yet, I don't know what we're doing over here, you guys. I don't know what to say. I'm sort of posting my experiences and emotions in real time to you on social media, which means I have swung wildly between this is beautiful and we're connecting with one another and creating joy and just community to like that very same day at nine o'clock at night, I'm going to bed. I don't know if anybody in this house is going to make it past tomorrow. I don't care either. And so today we are talking to one of my favorite, favorite leaders in this space. She is not only brilliant and compassionate and kind. And wait until you hear some of the beautiful things she says in this short episode today. I'm telling you, it's going to serve you well. It's going to minister to your spirit. But also, she has one of the most soothing voices on the planet. Just listening to her talk today is going to lower your blood pressure, I guarantee. We have an absolute For the Love podcast fan favorite today, Dr. Hillary McBride the most downloaded episode of 2019. She is a therapist, a researcher, a writer, incredibly gifted at helping people grow and heal and just come more fully into themselves and their relationships. For sure, if you do not hear her first episode of my podcast, race over and hear that and you will fall madly for her. Hillary is a host of the Liturgists podcast, some of my favorite peers and contemporaries. So excellent. Also of the CBC podcast, Other People's Problems, where she and a willing client open up their therapy session for us to learn from. Like, isn't that such a fantastic concept? She is a real force for mental health. And in fact, I told her at the beginning of this interview that her original recording with me last year on embodiment and the way we think about, imagine, speak to, respond to our bodies. It affected me so deeply that you will see her thumbprint on the entire chapter of Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, which comes out three weeks, with Hillary's instruction. Like, it changed me. I'm not kidding. Like, it changed me. I will never, ever get over what she taught me about that. It's absolutely changed my relationship with my own body. And we talk about a little bit of this today. And I'm just telling you, today's episode is going to serve you so, so well. I am happy that you're here. And I'm happy to bring you yet again, the incredible Dr. Hillary McBride. I am so happy to have you back to the show, Hillary. You probably know this, but I think I told you 
Last year, when you were on at the beginning of the year, your episode was the most downloaded episode of the year. Oh my gosh. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Jen Hatmaker podcast community loves them some you. Oh, cool. Well, I love some yeah. them. I want to say this to you too. I said this to you earlier, like on an instant message, but your original recording with me when you and I recorded an interview last year meant so much to me and so profoundly affected me that I can't wait for you to see it. You know, I'm sending you a copyright this very week, but wait until you see your thumbprint on the body chapter in my new book. You were its muse. You were its leader. You were its mentor because you really, really shaped me on that conversation that has lasted. And wow, thank anyway, you. Anyway, my point is thank you for your influence on my life and thus on my community, because that's where that all goes. Well, I'm deeply, treasure. deeply grateful. Thank you for sharing that and for inviting me into this space that you hold so beautifully for the people that you walk with. So just feeling grateful to be back with you again. And especially in light of what we're talking about today. Totally. When the podcast team got together and said, who can we bring to the table right now to lead the community? Well, you were tip top of the list. And so you are here at the very end of your work day, still serving. And I see that and I'm grateful. So first up, we would love to hear how you are, how you're doing in Vancouver, and also a curious perspective from our end. How are you seeing Canadians respond all the way from your health officials to your leaders to your own, like down on the ground, friends and neighbors? What does life look like for you guys in Canada right now? Yeah, well, I think that there's something human about this for for all of us, which is that we're trying to find our way. But I think we're seeing the same thing here that we're seeing in lots of places, which is some people taking it really seriously and then other people kind of taking their time to catch up to to what we all need to do to share share in the responsibility of this. But I think for me, one of the things that's been really helpful is knowing I have a particular skill set that allows me to channel this into feeling like I can support people well. I think it would probably be really hard for people who might feel powerless, like they can't do anything. And yet there's something so relieving in the meaning making of knowing I can continue to see my physician patients. That's a funny way of putting it. But the people I see as clients who are physicians who are on the front lines right now, and I can help them show up better for for their patients so that they're well. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, a lot of meaning and being able to help people with their mental health because we know that health is complex and multifaceted. And if we're only thinking about health in terms of what's happening on a physiological level, we're missing the complexity of being human, which is to say that mental health and how we are thinking about ourselves, how we are managing our feelings, how we are responding in our relationships. I mean, those are all parts as well of staying healthy in this. Everything that you were (laughs) saying right now, as you are mentioning, it's real. We are all feeling big, big feelings right now that are true and real and genuine. And at this point, we've had a couple of weeks, maybe at best, to collectively process that our lives right this minute don't look like they did on uh, many levels. And we're not sure what they're going to look like. You know, we don't have any guarantees going forward. So I would just love to hear from you. How would you talk to us about 
beginning to process and move through just these emotions. And I can only speak for myself, but mine fluctuate. Like one minute I'm like, we got this. We're going to band together. And this is going to be a beautiful like instance of humanity. And then last night I put myself to bed with a glass of wine at nine o'clock PM crying. And I just told Brandon, "I, I don't know if I'll see any of you in the morning. I don't know if any of you will make it. I'm not sure what your outlook is, but even my feelings are all over the place. So how do we start to process and move through this stuff? Yes. Yeah. Well, you're saying something that's actually a really important part of understanding the cycle of grief. And I think that's what a lot of us are doing is we are having, we're forcing our hands open or we are having our hands forced open by our context, by our reality and realizing that we don't necessarily have a map for this internally, socially, politically. And what that means is that there's a lot of new and a lot of new takes a lot of mental energy and emotional energy as we're continuing to adapt and we're moving between spaces of known and unknown. And when we move into spaces of known, we're like, okay, I've been in a crisis before okay, how can I resource myself? But then back into unknown, which is, but not like this and not on this scale. And what am I doing? What are we doing? And often when we're looking at grief, which I think is a big part of what's going on for a lot of us here, all of the disappointments, the loss, the feeling or the certainty that our government doesn't necessarily have us and hold us the way that we thought they would. But Unlike the, what we've been told about the five stages of grief, what's really important to know about that. Are you familiar with those, by the way? I am. You've heard about, yeah. So maybe just helicopter it down for everybody yes. listening. Well, so the five stages of grief, as we've heard them, are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. But what most people don't know about that research is it wasn't actually done on people who were living. It was done based on people who were grieving their own death. So the research actually doesn't apply to people who survive. The research applies to people who are making sense of their own end. And what that means, yeah. So we often talk about like, okay, well, I'm going through the stages, but but we got those stages from a very particular uh, subset of people and they don't necessarily apply to us. But what we do know about grief and what we can draw on is that something we call the dual process model, which moves from a sense of meaninglessness to meaning making back to meaninglessness, into meaning making, and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until at some point something feels known or familiar. And that's what a lot of us are feeling is this is meaningless, this is chaotic internally, but then, okay, I've got this and these are my people and this is what's known and it's just a Monday and it's just a grilled cheese and it's just a you know an episode of the show I love and then all of a sudden chaos again. But some things that I want to share about feeling that kind of will take us more practically into resourcing ourselves has to do with how we respond to noticing a feeling when it comes up. And feelings are hard for us because we're in an affect phobic culture, which really just means that we don't know how to feel well. We can talk about feelings. We can say, I feel that, or I feel sadness, but to actually feel an emotion means to track with it in our bodies. So the expression that we have in psychotherapy around this or the the kind of the neuroscience of affect is we have to feel it to heal it, which means that the only way out of feeling is through. So here's some steps for people who are like, well, what does that even mean? Because I labeled my feeling, isn't that enough? Or I rode the wave of the intensity and I was screaming at my partner. I felt it right. So Here's where I usually get people to start. 
It's to name the feeling that you've got. So not, I feel that you're a jerk, (laughs) which is not an emotion. That's an easy reach. (laughs) Right, exactly. But I feel scared. I feel sad. I feel overwhelmed. I feel confused. So name what you're feeling. Second step, where do I feel that in my body? So what's the actual physical sensation? Because emotions are physiological responses to our environment. They have a physiological signature that's unique to each of them. And that can take us deeper into it and then through it by noticing what's happening in my body. The third step, noticing the emotion and seeing what happens, just tracking it without judgment. I like to call that bird watching, which is really just our way of like hanging out, see what happens next. I love that. You're such a good teacher about that. That's not how I naturally behave. And so having that permission to be a bird watcher is really liberating. Yeah. And what feelings often do is they'll they'll kind of release. Just think of the, like a kid who wants to show you their drawing. I know it's been a little while since you've had really, really young kids, but if a kid comes up and pulls on your sweater and is like, Hey mom, look at this drawing. If you continue on with your conversation with your friend who's there at the kitchen counter, your kid will start pulling on your sweater harder until you listen. (laughs) But when you turn around and you're like, okay, show me, what do you want to show me? Often the kid will just say like, oh, I made this. Isn't it cool? And then we'll go away. And feelings are kind of like that too. Like when we listen and we actually move towards them, often they soften and release. But the fourth step is what does this feeling tell me matters to me? Because feelings are actually a signpost to our value. They tell us something about ourselves. And where we get stuck and and trapped is usually when we let our feeling or we think that our feeling tells us something about someone else. Like, I'm angry at that person. Oh, that's good. I'm angry at that person because they're not social distancing. Or I'm angry at that person because they're not taking responsibility. And yet what we're missing is that anger is telling us something about care. Our anger is telling us something about what matters to us. And so we can ask the feeling, what are you telling me is important for me? What are you telling me about who I am and what I value? And then the fifth step if, is the feeling telling me I need to do something or is it enough just to notice this, right? If you imagine the kid coming up and pulling on your sweater, are they saying like the sink in the bathroom is, you know, it's leaking or something like that. You're going to want to go give that some attention. But if they've just come up to say, hey, this is important to me, it's enough just to acknowledge that and then let it go. Mm, that is so helpful. Yeah, it's so human to feel it's actually wired into all of us for our survival. And yet it's a skill we have to learn. And we learn to not feel usually because we had people around us who told us our feelings were too much and they didn't know how to feel. So that we shoved ours down to make them okay. Of course. Number six is if I can't do something about this feeling, if this feeling is telling me go scream at that person for how irresponsible they are, can I imagine doing it instead? And because of how our brain works, if we imagine an experience, it's almost as good for our nervous system as if it happens. In fact, we get the same neurological experience as if something really happens without our motor neurons firing. So you're just not getting activation in your muscles, but your brain is like, wow, I feel better. I got to say the thing I needed to say. So just imagining it can help. And then the last step is, can I thank my body for this feeling? Can I thank the feeling for telling me what matters to me? as a good messenger about who I am, good messenger about what's important to me. And in that way, building a trusting relationship with our body and with our feelings that helps us feel like no matter what comes up, we can get through this in a way where we are intact and kind to ourselves. That instruction is so tender and it makes me feel 
emotional to hear you say it because this is the this is the leadership you've given me particularly on loving and trusting my body as just such a wonderful partner in this life and worthy of respect and attention and I'm telling you, Hillary, I'm not joking. You are my key teacher in this. I was in an interview just a few days ago and we were talking about bodies and I was like, listen, this is what I've learned. My body is team gin all the time, always on my side, always for me, always trying to protect me or warn me or alert me. And I have learned that from you. And I think that is some really important instruction for us right now because our bodies are giving us a lot of messages right now so many so many like waving so many flags so speaking of that let's just be real nitty-gritty right now with everybody listening we are at home all of us with the people that live in our houses and we don't have a break we don't have a breather we don't our natural rhythms are disrupted the other people that typically work into our lives socially are at least distanced, you know, they're just differently placed in our lives right now. And so it's a fact that we can start to feel right now a little bit stir crazy with the people that we're by. And we're in really close quarters. We love these people. These are our people. But this is not the way we're used to sort of responding to each other in a 24-7 cycle. So how would you suggest that we care for our people well? Because most of the people listening right now are moms or women who have either kids or a spouse or roommates that are living with. But regardless, we find ourselves a little bit in care of other people. And so how do we care for these people well, while also making sure that we can care for our own mental health? Because I'm not sure we have a template here that we know to follow. Yeah. One of the things that we're going to have to really disrupt is the idea that asking for our needs to be met or setting boundaries isn't caring. And I think that's going to be really difficult for a lot of us because the story is if we love people, we do everything for them. We shove our needs down. We dismiss what our body is telling us about what we know. And we just press in and keep going on as normal. And yet for us to have deep, meaningful relationships with people in our lives, there has to be a level of vulnerability in which we allow people to see us and we allow them to meet our needs. So for real mutuality to come out of this, out of this situation, we might need to start paying attention to the boundaries we need to set. And with any difficult situation, yes, there are some things here that are very new, but I encourage everyone who's listening to reflect on the things about what's new or how what's new is making the existing things already that were already there even more difficult. So if you came into the situation not knowing how to say to your roommate or your partner or your kids, I actually need some space this is going to make it even harder. So be gracious with yourself. If you're learning to set boundaries for the first time in your life because you've never had to, or you've never known that you've had to, it's going to be hard and it's okay that it's hard. There are great resources out there that help you language that. And I'm happy to hook you up with them or give you a list for your listeners. But we need to be able to be setting boundaries and reminding ourselves that that doesn't mean that we don't care about people. That's actually a way to be in health and mutuality. Thank you for saying that so much. So as we are, some of us at least finding ourselves not only in care of our children's education, you know, they're essentially homeschooled now, but also our work that we're all doing from home and then our 
marriages and relationships and our own selves. Just thank you for saying that. That feels very liberating to hear. You're welcome. And important. What would you say, however you would answer this, I'm not even really sure what your answer would be here, but how do we make sure that we're listening to our bodies and moving our bodies in a way that's good for our minds. What do you think that looks like for us right now as we're kind of isolated and quarantined a bit? So I like to say to people, set regular intervals to check in with yourself. Maybe that's a reminder that pops up on your phone. Maybe it's a post-it note that you hang above the kitchen sink or in your bathroom on the mirror, something that tells you, hey, what's going on right now? And what I usually suggest is that you start with a body scan just really dropping into awareness around if there's tightness, if there's heat, if there's pressure, if there's some sort of message that your body is giving you that you're holding something. But what a lot of us are feeling right now is something we call the mobilization tendency, which is part of our stress response. It's when our bodies give us everything we need to fight or flight out of a difficult situation. And our neurological system can't actually tell the difference between a real threat, like if there was a bear in front of us, or an anticipated threat, like a virus that might get to someone we love. So our bodies mobilize us to get to safety. And this can feel like lots of energy, lots of pressure, lots of tightness, as if we're actually in the forest and we see the bear and we need to run away. But unlike being in the forest, we can't actually run away from this, especially when what we need to do is try and stay at home. So we need to find a ways to help our bodies know that they can settle down. And one of the ways of doing this is to discharge our mobilization tendency. That's just clinical language for saying we need to use it up. We need to get it through and not letting it hang out in our body. Because when we let this stress response hang out in our body, it can actually create some challenges or extra stressors on our immune system and make our physiology more vulnerable. The stuff that gets released during our stressful kind of mobilization responses is super potent and it can cause serious neurological and biophysical challenges if it hangs around. So like you're saying, we need to find ways to release it. First, listening. Am I carrying some of that? Am I noticing pressure or tightness? But then how do I move it through you? And so I often think about anything that can help use major muscle groups like Obviously, dancing is a really great emotional release and fun and playful. But if you can't do that, you're sitting at your desk and you're in a you know Zoom meeting or something like that, just make fists with your hands as tight as you possibly can for about 10 seconds and then release and take a nice long exhale as you open your hands up. And then do that again with your hands and then maybe again with your shoulders or your jaw or the muscles in your calves, some way to use up that energy that's in your major muscle groups which essentially tells your body, guess what? We got away. We're okay. And we can get past the other side of that mobilization release into, okay, I'm away from the bear. I'm safe. And it's usually then that we are better able to be present, do things like mindfulness or really quiet exercises and paying attention to our surroundings that are hard when we're feeling really afraid and overwhelmed. It's crazy how much that actually works. I found myself in the middle of the night, wide awake, worrying and just worrying my body. My body's so tight. I felt like I was levitating off the bed. Like I was just so, and I just thought I I was an hour later, an hour and a half, and I could not figure out how to get back to sleep. And so I did exactly what you just said. I started tensing my body like a bodybuilder, like from from feet to toes, as tight as I could, like squeezing with all my might and then release. I did this for probably five minutes. And so help me if I did not fall immediately asleep after that. It's so real what you're saying. 
Like there is something about paying attention to our levitating bodies off our mattresses. Like, let it go. Let's, let's give this a place to move through. And I thank you so much for reiterating how true and important that is for us. Let me ask you this, because as mentioned, we're confined to our homes, but some of us are even by ourselves in our homes. Like my online community is breaking my heart when they are telling me I live alone. And I don't even have all these kids to drive me crazy, but also occupy my time. And so something you said the other day, I found so helpful. You said one of the best ways we can help undo the aloneness and build hope is through sharing what we are making. I love that you said this. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I'm going to give you a two for one here and I'll tell you something kind of a, one of my favorite neuroscience tips before I jump into the creativity piece, which is that we get a ton of oxytocin when we have skin to skin contact or touch, right? It's this beautiful bonding hormone. And it is one of the things that can actually shut off the stress response. When we get that mobilization tendency, it's like the light switch turns on for engagement, but touch can turn it off. So for people who are alone, the question is, well, what do I do? How do I get that? And there was some research that was done a few years ago that showed For people, when they were measured for the rates of oxytocin that were released, there was actually no difference or a very slight difference in how much oxytocin was released when they touched themselves versus when they actually were touched by somebody else. And so it seems that your body is like, oh, I'm connected to somebody, even if it's you. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? And so I would just encourage all the people who are alone to know it is just as good. Your brain doesn't care if you are giving yourself a hug. We have come up with stories to disqualify why that matters, but it matters. And your body longs for caring and gentle touch. So give yourself a foot rub. Put your hands on your neck. Rest your head in the palm of your hands if you are feeling weary. Put your hand on your chest. Put your hands on your belly and feel yourself breathe. And stay there for a few moments and really let yourself soak in that care. But to get to your question around creativity and making, I think there's a few pieces to this, which is making something is a way to say yes to the holy I really like this quote by Mirabai Starr in her book, Wild Mercy. It says, to make art is to make love with the sacred. And I think we need that right now to feel close to God, to feel creator moving through us, the hands on the page, the paintbrush, the instrument. It's easy to see our bodies as being vulnerable right now as like the place where the virus could attack us. But we also need to be seeing our bodies as places that God is moving through us. Our bodies as the canvas for the divine when we make space for creativity, for making, we let God move through us. We release things. We transform like alchemy. We make pain into something beautiful and we keep our hearts open instead of closed. But then to do that and bring it to people who can, who can see it, who can attune to us, who can observe, who can notice and take in what has happened when we've let something good be poured out of a place of pain is a way to have our our souls seen, that recognition is essential for our survival as a social species. So even if we're not getting touch to be seen, to be recognized, to be noticed, to be validated, does for our brain what we long for, what we need. And it's even deeper when we've given a gift of vulnerability of something moving through us. Mm. That is serving me so much right now as a leader as I am thinking about 
how can I create space for people to be seen right now and connected and loved and known and appreciated? That is not fake. That's real. That really serves us. I mean, I am taking notes right now. So, okay. Hillary, this is a like kind of a bonus series, obviously. The quarantine series is not one that we had planned on, right, as you can imagine. And so we have so many experts coming on just like you who are kind of guiding us through health. And so we're asking everybody these questions in this strange new world, these last kind of three, just right off the top of your head. So here's the first one. For you, is there a particular practice that you've adopted right now maybe different from your regular routine, or maybe same, I'm not sure, but that helps you stay grounded and calm in the middle of this chaos, because also you're a caregiver right now. And so this season is requiring a lot of you. Is there anything that you're doing personally that helps you like keep your feet firmly on the ground? Yeah, probably a few things I've noticed. One, I'm just checking with myself just a hundred times more a day than I normally do. How am I doing now? How am I doing now? How am I doing now? Because as things are changing, I'm needing to constantly adapt my responses. I'm dancing a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, I found myself writing letters to people. I tend to do that normally, but just like sitting down, lighting a candle and thinking of a person holding them in my mind and then writing to them. And that has felt like bringing connection or bringing that person into that moment with me. So those three things probably. Oh, that's so nice. So like lovely and old fashioned. Okay. So pragmatically, now that we're kind of all mostly just at home, do you have like a lingering project or a thing you've set over to the side that you're like, you know what? I'm home now. I'm going to tackle this thing. This is a thing I'm going to get managed or handled or organized or just whatever. I mean, the timing is really funny because right when the virus hit, I had just sent off my manuscript for my next book, something I'd actually talked about when I was in doing the interview with you last. So it's called, I think the working title right now is This Is My Body and it's all about embodiment. But now that that's off my desk, I'm actually, I have a, a lot more time to work on some of my academic publications in addition to being a therapist, I'm a researcher and I'm a professor at, or I teach, I'm not a professor. I teach at one of the universities here in Vancouver. And so working lots on making sure I'm doing my best for my students right now who are struggling a lot with the changes and also trying to get some of my new research into academic publications. I've got some great stuff Oh gosh, Jen, I'm so excited to tell you about, but most of my doctoral work focused on menopause and the midlife transition for women when menopause was a spiritual experience of growth and transformation and where they fell even more in love with their bodies through the transition. So I feel like that's something just isn't talked about a lot. So I'm really excited to get my hands on my data more and see if I can get that out to the world. I've never heard anyone talk about that. Okay. I got some stuff for you. (laughs) I'm just saying you are right. That feels like an untapped market, but I mean, how many of us are turning in that, turning that corner without a lot of guidance? Okay. Well, I cannot wait for that. Yeah. We'll have to talk about that sometime. Is it too soon for us to know when your book's coming out? February 9th, 2021. Okay. So just, just under a year. Yeah. Thank you for asking. We need it. We need it. I cannot wait to read it cover to cover. And I will, (laughs) and you'll come back on because I kind of wish you could come on the podcast once a week. This is the last question you answered this last time. And we ask, you know, this is the final question all the time and you can answer it however you want right now. So you just have the freedom. What is saving your life right now? 
Kate, top of my head, sour candy. The women of my life who call me all the time, my, my women, my people, and dancing, sometimes naked, sometimes alone, sometimes with people. Just it's my favorite thing in the world. Oh, I love your answers so much, including sour candy. That's yeah. my favorite of all the candy. It's so important to me. I cannot understate it. It's my value. a sacrament. I I cannot agree more. So just thank you, Hillary, for being who you are. And thank you for your time today and for serving this community well. And just walking us through some unprecedented places that we just don't, we've not done before. And so everybody, I will have, as always, over on the jenhammaker.com podcast page, everything you've ever wanted to know about Hillary, like where to find her, where her work is, all of it, every single link you've ever wanted. Okay, my friend, you're so Mm -hmm. dear to me. Thank you Mm, so much for being here today. My pleasure. How lovely is she? Everything about my tension and anxiety releases when I talk to Hillary. She's such a good guide for us right now. I mean, I'm telling you, just run your little feet to everything she has written and recorded. Let her serve you right now during this time of anxiety and fear and uncertainty. And it pleases me so much to put her in front of this community again. I do love her so. The Quarantine Queens series continues just like this. My entire goal is to serve you well. That's it to put tools and resources and teachers and leaders and ideas in front of you right now as we work as hard as we can to make something beautiful out of the cards that we've been dealt right now and to serve our families and our communities and take care of our own souls well. And so more to come. I'll see you next week, guys, because we may not be able to do the normal, ordinary things we've done, but guess what we can do? We can podcast and we can listen. So here I am bringing it to you on behalf of my incredible team who is working overtime right now to deliver amazing content to you. Laura, our producer and her team, and then of course, Amanda and I, we're just grateful for you and happy to serve you guys. All right. See you next week.